It is about to get crazy, honey. You better show up. It's Tuesday, November 20th, and you're listening to the latest episode of the Typed Out Podcast. I am your host and creator, Nick Polifrone. Every week, Typed Out aims to deliver conversations that seek to expand the boundary of understanding and acceptance. My co-host and fellow Shakespeare aficionado for this episode, joining me all the way from LA, is my friend, Allison Minnick. Allie, thank you for joining me today. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Just to introduce Allison, we had Allison Strickland on last weekend for for our episode about astrology. And so uh, all together, both Allison's and I, we all met at RADA, which if you're not familiar with that little acronym, it is the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Allison, I think it How long has it been? Oh my gosh, it's been almost 10 years. That is crazy. It's nine and a half years since we did that. It feels like yesterday, but it also feels like another another world. It was, yeah, it was amazing. We did the two-month Shakespeare intensive, and it just so happens that in today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Martha Benson, who is the artistic director of the Lady Shakes Theater Company here in New York City. And so um, just tailing it back to RADA, Allison and I were part of a group of, I think it was about 30, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 29, except there was one guy that never showed up. He was like but, a mystery man. Yes, Jed. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jed. <laughs> and apparently he tried to get in the year before uh, as well, but there was some problem with uh, getting through um, customs or something. So <laughs> this mystery yeah. Shakespearean actor. If memory serves me correctly, I'm pretty sure he made like some silly threat on the queen, like as a joke on his customs. Oh, that's right. Oh, no, you can't joke around with that. That's not yeah. good. <laughs> Jed, like if there's one thing that you don't do, it's like a threaten the head of government or I should at least the royal family when you're oh trying to gosh. enter the country. Oh, Jed, if you're listening, um, I hope you learned from your double mistake Yes, because <laughs> you did it twice, maybe. <laughs> you could have been a part of this podcast, but unfortunately, we never got the chance to meet you. So, Jed, wherever you are, how you doing? <laughs> Hi, <But>. Jed. <laughs> so, Allie, you have a company of your own, correct? It's I believe the, the name of it is called Main Wench. Yeah, Main Wench Productions. Uh, yeah, it's um, so my friend um, who I went to grad school with, her name's Leba Vainberg, and she's a fantastic uh, actress and uh, writer and collaborator. And we started working together in grad school at uh, Columbia in New York, uh, where we went for acting. And we just uh, vibed really well um, as actors. And then we started putting on cabarets. And then that led into us collaborating and doing um, sketch content, uh, you know, parody music videos and um, that kind of thing. Um, And it's all, you know, it's the two of us. And then we cast our friends um, because we know so many just talented fellow actors and uh, improvers and collaborators. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, which is a, a project under Main Wench, I believe you're doing something called the Tales of Tovarud. If you wouldn't mind, please explaining what that is. Yeah. So it's a uh, mockumentary about making a fantasy television series. Um, so sort of a Game of Thrones type show. Um, and it's we a big joke throughout it is nobody knows how to pronounce it. Uh, so 
you had a pronunciation. I have a pronunciation. Sometimes I change how I pronounce it. So sometimes I say Tavarud, Tovarud, Tavarud. It's always different. But um, basically the mockumentary follows a pretentious fantasy author uh, and an inexperienced showrunner who team up to adapt an epic book series into a TV show. So Liba, my uh, collaborator, co-writer, she plays this sort of female George R.R. Martin type, um, just very eccentric and opinionated. And then I play the showrunner who is inexperienced and it's unclear if she has actually worked in the industry before, but she's doing her best and she's uh, she has a lot of blunders, but she has such determination that somehow it, it comes together. But we, yeah, we sort of wanted to spoof um, I mean, we both love, you know, Shakespeare. We both love um, roles for women. Uh, we also love, you know, heightened British-based <laughs> type things, uh, type shows, um, which is often uh, goes hand in hand with the, you know, fantasy genre. And both Ali and Liba are quite hysterical. I, I've had the pleasure of seeing you both perform live. Um, I know that we both have a great love for Shakespeare and his work. And so I wanted to ask along the lines of what we're going to be speaking with Martha about is what has it been like to play Shakespeare's female characters for you? I feel like there's a lot of the female characters fall into a couple main categories of uh, a lot of there's a lot of female characters that are inherently good, you know, um, kind of that saintly character, uh, but often they're, uh, they're victims or they're, you know, they're treated like crap (laughs) in, in the play, um, often by the, the male characters, Hero in Much Ado, Desdemona in Othello, Hermione, uh, Ophelia, um, it's, it's tough (laughs) for some of those, those female characters. Um, And then, uh, you know, and then there's other characters that are really, uh, they're not victims. Of of course, you know, like Lady Macbeth or Cleopatra, they're really, you know, tough cookies and they take up space and uh, they, you know, of course, Lady M is um, murderous, but. Yeah. uh, I would say more often like certain characters, certain female characters of his, more often than not drive the action in some of the plays. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Lady M, she's definitely instrumental in setting off most of the events that happen in Macbeth, you know, where she is the one that, I mean, yes, it's Macbeth that ultimately kills Duncan in the beginning. Spoiler for anyone that hasn't seen it. But I think, what are we, 500 years behind the, the original content? So if that's a spoiler now... It's, it's your I'm own sorry. fault. <laughs> but Keep up with the times. Exactly. Yeah. 500 years after them. But it's still relevant, which is why we're talking about it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And but, she's so she's so ambitious. And she's I mean, yes, he like you said, he does carry out the deed. Uh, but she's, you know, at, at the beginning, she's the stronger, braver one. Um, of course, they're doing evil things. But she yeah, she's the she's the driving force and gets things going. He's kind of in a stagnant state, kind of, you know, tormented, not knowing what to do. And she's like, let's get on with it. (laughs) Yeah. And one of my favorite female characters from Shakespeare's canon is Queen Margaret. Oh, I love her so much. Oh, my God. And I think you did a 
a monologue of hers, didn't you? The one where stand stand here on this molehill. Yeah, Brave Warriors Clifford in Northumberland. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's amazing. She yeah, I didn't discover her until, you know, a few years after I'd gotten into Shakespeare and I think in college I started getting really into Margaret because she's just she's in so many of his plays and it's just an amazing trajectory to follow um to follow this woman she's so dynamic and powerful yeah she's in four of the histories right I think it's Henry's Henry six parts one through three and then Richard the third right and it it truly covers the entire journey of her life you know we see her as a young girl in Henry VI, Part One, and then she's an old, embittered woman. Well, I, I, you know, I shouldn't say embittered because she has lived a full, tough life by that point, and so she she really plays the prophet of what is likely to happen under Richard's rule if people don't pay attention. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, you see her saying goodbye to a lover in an extremely heartbreaking scene. You see her at the top of her game, tearing someone down. Um, it's just as far as one singular role. She's, it's, it's an incredible, incredible role. So, yeah. so well-written. And, and just to, you know, build off of what you said, Ali, about how certain female characters in Shakespeare's canon are victims, very much portrayed as victims like Desdemona and Hero, Hermione, definitely. Isabella. Isabella. But then we definitely have the opposite side of that coin. Right. Where we have the women who are so empowered. And I think this is also a large reason why Shakespeare's work resonates to a modern audience is because we have that strong, empowered female that truly at that time, I mean, Queen Elizabeth I was in power when Shakespeare was writing. So he he definitely drew from life experience. He had that figure of female dignity and empowerment to to infuse in his characters. But I, I would like to think that these themes sort of carry these plays to, you know, from century to century, generation to generation, because there's so much there to resonate with. We champion for those that have otherwise been underserved. Absolutely. So, and the the amazing thing that I love about what Martha and her team at the Lady Shakes Theater Company are doing is that with an all-female identifying ensemble, they're finding new elements of the plays that have yet, I think, to be discovered. So I'm very much looking forward to, to seeing their first full production, which I believe is going to be the turn of 2019. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, I love that. And I think that even with those those characters that, um, you know, of the, the female characters that are more in the victim category, I think um, it's great that there's all these wonderful theater companies like Lady Shakes that can, um, you know, tackle that and, and see if there's a way to bring an empowered side to some of these um, characters that, that get treated so poorly um, and I just, it's, that's just so empowering to, <laughs> that there's this, you know, theater company, um, you know, going, going, going for it. <laughs> Absolutely. With, you know, the female, uh, the female base there. I love that. Yeah. Allie, where can we find Tales of Toverud? Oh, well, um, 
it, we have a website. It's talesoftavaru.com. So it's tales, T-A-L-E-S, of uh, Tavaru, T-O-V-E-R-U-D.com. And all of our uh, episodes are there. Um, and then we also have a uh, sizzle reel as well because um, we're, uh, we're currently pitching it. Um, so very exciting stuff. Great. And can we find all of the Main Wench Productions content there as well? Um, there's uh, links to our stuff there, but you can also, a more re- direct route would be, you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram if you just type in uh, Main Wench Productions. Uh, you can find us on there and we have uh, lots of fun content uh, and videos um, other than this this web series. Excellent. And I encourage everyone listening to go ahead and follow Ali, Main Wench Productions, Liba, and Tales of Tovarud. I've been saying it wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, that's perfect. There's no there's so. no right way to say it. <laughs> Allie, I wanted to thank you for being my co-host today, and I hope all is going well out in LA, and I can't wait to see you again when I'm either out in California or you're here in New York City. Oh, thank you so much. You as well. I can't wait to see you, and this is so wonderful chatting with you. Likewise. So let's take this time to hear from Martha from the Lady Shakes Theatre Company and listen to how they're using gender and um, and, an all-female cast to bring new highlights to Shakespeare's classics. Joining me today is Martha Benson, the artistic director and founding member of the Lady Shakes Theatre Company in New York City. Martha, welcome. Hey, thanks, Nick. (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about not only the Lady Shakes Theatre Company, but also female representation on the stage, specifically in classical theatre. Um, which for anyone that may not know Shakespeare all too well, back in his day, the productions were predominantly, they were all male. Yeah, correct? it was the tradition. Women weren't allowed on stage for a really long time. Yeah, and it was men playing women in those roles. Absolutely, often young boys. Yeah. So Martha, please tell me about the origin story for Lady Shakes Theatre Company. Lady Shakes Theatre Company really came to life about a year ago, but I've wanted to create a theater company for many, many years, for most of my professional life, but it never quite felt right for some reason. Everything fell into place about a year ago when I met this young woman named Anna Petrick, and we went to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival together and saw a production of Twelfth Night with a young, very obviously LGBT woman playing both Viola and Sebastian which is a twin role. She doubled the role? She doubled the role. Wow. Um, So she played both the male twin and the female twin. Yeah. And it was very, very clearly a story about gender identity and gender freedom. And she, um, Anna Petrick is very androgynous looking and the actress herself was very androgynous looking. And Anna, after the show, the first thing she said to me was, I've never seen someone who looks like me on stage before. And... And that, that really resonated with me. A few months later, Anna is, she's performed in community theater, but she's not trained as an actor. Yeah. Um, I saw her really act for the first time and it blew me away. And the role she did was Juliet. And something just kind of clunked into place in my heart. I was like, this is what I meant to do, to tell these stories on stage. And um, I realized that a theater company had never really made sense because I was still buying into um, 
the the tropes of of how theater companies are supposed to be run right now and i was like oh these are the stories that i need to tell these are the actors that need to be speaking these words not not some of the like more traditional types of people we would see playing these roles but like those that kind of are outside the typical narrative yeah i shakespeare's words are really important to us like he really captures something about humanity and there's a brilliance to his poetry, which is unparalleled like anywhere else in, in our written culture. And I think part of what keeps these words alive is seeing how they resonate in every human that speaks them. And if the same type of humans are speaking these words, nothing new is being learned. Yeah. Um, and so just having the opportunity to see a young androgynous looking actress play this young man and this young woman in this story was just so mind-blowing for someone like Hannah. And I'm like, oh my God, how many other people are in the audience that need to see this? I mean, Shakespeare, of all playwrights, exemplifies timelessness, right? Mm -hmm. How many times are his plays done over and over and over, and yet they never lose their quality? I mean, yeah, you'll have a bad production here and there. But oh, of like, course, yes. <laughs> when, the, when, the, when the production is done well and it holds the integrity of the piece, mm -hmm. it never gets old. Uh, I always find Shakespeare to be, I mean, yes, we're both trained in Shakespeare, uh, which is also how we met. But mm -hmm. like the other thing is uh, I think of plays or specifically musicals like um, Cole Porter. What's the um, Anything Goes? Mm -hmm. I saw a production of that a couple of years ago when they did the revival on Broadway and Sutton Foster was in the original, but I didn't, she had just left uh, by the time I got tickets for the show. Oh, so yeah, I know. But uh, it was Sutton Foster and uh, Joel Gray. And after seeing the production, it just felt so dated. Who doesn't love Cole Porter's music, right? Right. But the storyline itself just felt like it didn't, really translate to a modern audience it was very specifically meant for older folks and that was predominantly the the audience around me mm -hmm. but i always think of those things as money grabs because they know their intended audience but again the content felt dated where shakespeare can be adapted in so many ways it is so fluid and flexible and now taking his pieces and doing something like Lady Shakes and creating an all-female cast it's so relevant and important and yet it takes on a new level of resonance mm -hmm. right and all the productions with Lady Shakes are female or female identifying yes all they're female identifying okay. cast crew and design team as well amazing uh, are also female identifying people was there an impetus or like a specific purpose as to why uh, you wanted to bring in female identifying folks for this? Um, yes, I, I. it all goes back to our, our just our, our founding purpose of we need to give these paying jobs to people who have been underrepresented in the arts for, for so many years. Um, it's not a new thing, having all female companies. Yeah. It's, it's not at all, but history often erases it, yeah. which is another thing that's at the forefront of what we want to try to, like, bring awareness to but it was definitely a decision when we decided we knew from the beginning that all of our casts would be female identifying actors um and then we had to think long and hard about whether we were going to go all the way and also be dedicated to hiring our, our cast and or forgive me our, our crew and design team as women as well um with we people were nervous that it would be harder 
but that kind of just speaks to the problem because it would be harder because women are often not given the same opportunities. They don't have the resumes or at least they're, um, it's just, there's not as many of them that would advertise themselves as, as working techs, as working design people. Right. But we're like, that's the point. <laughs> that Yeah, that's the point. And not only like the one thing that I truly admire about that is where you're taking on the challenge of bringing on a team that, you know, somebody said it might be harder to get an all-female identifying cast and crew in order to to drive this boat. But it's like, let's let's navigate those choppy waters, you know, like because these things aren't happening to a degree that, you know, as you mentioned, they're getting erased or just not the attention that they should be getting. Mm-hmm. I think back to uh, several weeks ago, a friend of mine put on uh, five short plays about the black female experience. Hmm. And afterwards, one of the audience members stood up and she was like, I loved everything that happened here tonight. I really want to see it on a broader level. Like I want it to garner a lot of attention because the work is relevant and people need to see it. She goes, but my one concern is that it's not white enough. And it's like, why do we need to add some? Because it's true. Like we, we live in a society where there has to be a level of palatability to things, right? Mm-hmm. It has to have a sense of digestibility because the majority is the straight, white, hetero perspective, uh-huh. right? That's just where we are at this point in time. It's it's almost as if people think that white is the neutral. And if there's not enough neutrality, it's, it won't be marketable. Yeah, it's the default, yeah. you know? And I totally understood what this woman was saying. But it shouldn't have to be that way. It shouldn't have to be that you have to add this element to make something marketable. So I love the challenge of bringing a female identifying cast and crew to the Lady Shakes Theater Company and saying that we're going to keep the integrity of our mission mm-hmm. and challenge be damned, this is what we're doing. Yeah. You know? So I love that. And who are the other founding members alongside you, Martha? Um, alongside me, there's also Caroline McCaughey, okay. who runs our, our publicity department. <laughs> She's Who's joining us here uh, silently in the background, by the way. Hi, Caroline. Hello. <laughs> also, Anna Petrick, who is my um, technical director. Mm-hmm. She moved out to New York with me. Um, after I had been at home for eight months um, because she was so inspired by by theater and the thought of this theater company. She wanted to come out and, and do it with me. So did you know Anna before seeing her in Twelfth Night? No, that's... Re- oh, well, we saw it together. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. So you and Anna went to see Twelfth Night. We went and to see it. the actor playing Viola slash Sebastian mm-hmm. was who inspired you. Yes. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I, I would for some reason was thinking Anna was the actor playing. No, no, no. Okay, I was going to say, wow, that's a very cool connection. Yeah. (laughs) Please tell me about that. Although that actress, her name is Sarah Brune. She's an Oregon Shakespeare Festival actress. She has followed us on our Instagram, our Lady Shakes Instagram, and she likes our stuff. And we're, we're, we, we freak out every time that happens. So um, I wanted to ask about your productions. Yeah. So since it's an all-female identifying cast, mm-hmm. do you gender bend the roles or do they stay as they are? Do you have women playing men? We do both. Okay. Um, actually, that's one of the most exciting conversations we have when an actor um, gets cast. We're like, okay, um, do you want to play this role as a man or a woman or something else? The, the actor gets a lot of say in how they define their gender expression. Um, sometimes as as their director, I, I need them to make a certain decision to help me with the story, but other times it's really up to them. For example, um, I had originally thought of the 
the role of Lord Montague in our upcoming production of Romeo and Juliet as a man. But the actress who got hired to play this part said, no, I want to play Lord Montague as a woman. I want Lord Montague to be married to Lady Montague and for her to have this patriarchal position in this society. So I said, yeah, go for it. Do it. Have you seen with Romeo and Juliet when you do gender bend one of the roles, Mm -hmm. does adding that queer element suddenly unfold new aspects of the story? Absolutely. I mean, it it certainly depends on, on which character. It is, but you're definitely setting a precedent for for the kind of people that exist in this world and the world you're creating for the story you're telling. Funnily enough, some roles make more of a statement than others. For example, Romeo. We're we're playing Romeo as a woman, um, as a as a female identifying lesbian woman, mm-hmm. and it just we had to flip the pronouns, like. Um, but a lot of really interesting discoveries came through doing that. Yeah. Like switching the pronouns obviously sometimes messes up the meter a little bit. So we have to be really clever about which words we replace yeah. the pronouns with. And then we there were some really beautiful discoveries in the rehearsal room where the actress playing Juliet discovered that still referring to Romeo as husband um, was surprisingly tender. And also really helped Juliet kind of stand up for what she was trying to say yeah. and what she believed in and this reinterpretation of what this title meant. Um, it was really a beautiful moment. The other cool thing that I just thought about is that when you shift the pronouns, right? Mm-hmm. Changing he to her or mm-hmm. he to she mm-hmm. throws off the meter. So we know iambic pentameter to be mm-hmm. the ten syllable beats. And then if you throw off that meter by either being nine or 11 beats or more, it makes it a feminine ending, right? So you're feminizing the meter by by switching the gender of the character, which Mm -hmm. is so interesting. And previously, people used to refer to the meter as a weak ending, which is, do we really need to look at it that way? No, no, it's just as strong. But what Uh I do love is that suddenly not only are you changing the text, but you're changing the meter and that somehow adds that gender element to Mm -hmm. it as well. So it's like you're taking an all female identifying cast and then with some of the changes that you're making, you're making the text itself Mm -hmm. feminine, which is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Is there a full production of Romeo and Juliet happening soon? Yes, we have been workshopping our production of Romeo and Juliet, which just means getting together really informally and and playing with the text and exploring it um, since January. Mm -hmm. But we're scheduled to... Um, open our full fully produced production in february february 15th 2019 excellent yes congratulations thank you (laughs) where will that be we are actually a resident theater company at saint john's theater in the west village okay there is a reverend there who he he's really into theater he understands how theater and religion can can kind of complement each other and how important and spiritual they are Mm -hmm. so he actually has opened his church space to us Awesome. Um, to use for our for our shows and our rehearsals. Fully knowing that there can be queer people and elements involved. Um, this reverend and his husband <laughs> know <Yes>. that. <laughs> you better work, reverend, okay? <laughs> Let's just put that out there. You yeah. better work. No, he's amazing. <laughs> That's great. That's great. It's, it's nice to hear of religious institutions that are opening their doors to not only the arts, but also queer people and queer art. Yes. <laughs> you know, like... Thank you, 2018. Like, there, there right. is some good progressive stuff that is happening, mm-hmm. you know? So um, 
and w- I'm sorry, what was the name of the of the church? Is it St. George? It's called Theater at St. John's. Sorry, Theater at St. John's. So mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet by the Lady Shakes Theater Company at St. John's. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you also do, do you hold like weekly workshops for people that might be interested, not necessarily in auditioning for anything, but just working with the Lady Shakes Theater Company as far as like actor training? An educational branch of our theater company is absolutely something that we want to develop. I think the best bet would be to contact us since this is we're at such an exciting formulative stage that people like so many people have been reaching out to me um like how can i help how can i be involved and we we need help and we need people to be involved so um that could just be another way of fundraising exactly yeah yeah. which i've also seen posted through like instagram that you've done uh nights at a a bar i believe where you've done some performances and you've invited folks and i think it's by admission well um it's it's a we have a fundraising night called boozy lady shakes night yes we've been given access to a beautiful restaurant um kind of near west harlem where company members start off the night by doing monologues um, and performing for the room and we actually do open it up to the room yeah. at a certain point in the night So anyone who has something prepared can jump up there and and just perform in front of a really supporting Audience awesome, and it's open to our male allies as well. It's not just women and does it have to be something theater related? Could it be like a no. poem? Or... I've seen we've seen everything we've really? seen people's like things that they've written themselves and performed up there and we've seen non Shakespeare. Um, we we really love it when people go up there and do things that perhaps they feel that they're not welcome to do or aren't right for. Yeah. We really like to just kind of destroy the idea of type. Yes. Mm-hmm. Typed out, right? Hey. <laughs> hey. Uh, one other question that I have for you, Martha, is do you ever feel daunted by the the sheer abundance of theater companies and specifically classical theater that happens in New York City, does that ever come into mind as you're building either the production or the company itself or how much of that pressure or not even pressure, but just like awareness do you let influence um, what you're doing? My younger self would have been very intimidated by that. But right now I just, I, I think theater is a good thing and the more theater the better um i don't we're in new york city there's no limit of resources there's no limit of people who need to hear these stories yes there are what feels like hundreds of theater companies in the city but you talk to the majority of people on the street they don't see theater um so i think any person that we can reach through a performance is is a huge win and i i mean you'll notice that theater companies do the same plays like all at the same time like right I noticed this past year everyone's doing Romeo and Juliet and certain things happen politically all of a sudden everyone's doing Julius Caesar everyone like there are certain stories that start to resonate with people yeah Animal so, Farm I yeah. mean like the spike on Amazon I think that didn't they sell out like yeah. Amazon sold out in, in like 2017 mm-hmm. of Animal Farm it was like where were you in high school people <laughs> Not paying attention. Not paying attention. Um, Same with Romeo and Juliet. No, but actually I've just considered it um, a blessing and an opportunity to see different versions of Romeo and Juliet all across the city. So inspiring and so much fun. And it also helps me as a director. Because I I consider stealing the the highest form of compliment. Truly, like, 
you can't steal other people's art because you are yourself and your art is created through yourself. So if you're doing, I just think it's really inspiring and I can figure out like what I like, what really resonated with me, what I didn't like, what I thought was sloppy or that's great. And the other thing is like the same with this podcast, like how many podcasts exist, right? And it's just like, oh, you're creating another podcast. Like I have another thing that I need to subscribe and listen to. And my thing is that there's space for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. It's just that I'm not stealing your listeners or your viewers Mm -hmm. or anything. It's just that if there is space for your work, it will find its way. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I believe, well, there's a podcast that, I always reference, which is the inaugural episode of the Goop podcast. It's Gwyneth Paltrow and she interviews Oprah. And at one point throughout the podcast, Oprah talks about when she was doing the Oprah Winfrey show, her her crew was saying, well, aren't you nervous? All these other, you know, uh, TV show hosts are popping up. You've got Maury Povich and you've got um, Geraldo Rivera. You know, aren't you worried? Ricky Lake, aren't you worried? And, you know, she had become very close with Maya Angelou at that point. And Maya Angelou said, You only need to worry about yourself. Mm -hmm. You only need to worry about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And when you focus on what you're doing and you take it from here to the stars, no one can touch you. Right. It's once you start preoccupying yourself with what everyone else is doing that you then hinder yourself. You hinder your own progress because you're stepping into your own space. This path is meant for you. Mm-hmm. right don't preoccupy yourself with what everyone else is doing you know because they too will find their own way and you know ne'er do the two cross so it's again we constantly think that oh yes another theater company another mm-hmm. podcast but the thing is is that as you mentioned everything is coming through the lens of you and there's only one you mm-hmm. you know so I was just curious because I know some other friends of mine have also started their own theater company. And it's like the work that they're doing is so inspiring. Like Mm -hmm. you never knew that there was a hole, like another hole to be filled until Mm -hmm. somebody fills it. And you're like, exactly. Yes. Okay. Clearly that Uh was missing and we didn't know it before, before this, you know? So Martha. Yes. Do you happen to view theater or any sort of art as a vehicle for social change? Like, does that influence any of the work that you do? Or is it just like that happens to be a little bit of a byproduct? Yes, I do think theater is a vehicle for social change. Um, I think it's one of the most powerful tools of social change because theater taps directly into human empathy Mm -hmm. when it's done right. We see people and we see their stories and we relate to them and we resonate with them. We see people handle situations and then we're able to sit in the comfort of our own chairs and be like, "Mm, what would I do if I was in that position? How would I feel? Like, do I think this person was right? Do I think they were wrong? Um, I love the example of of Greek tragedy, like classical Greek theater. Um, Oftentimes the Greeks, I feel like their stories would show us what we're not supposed to do, what we may want to. Like... Any mother watching Medea has had moments of high frustration, but then you see the horror of her actions, and we sit there and hopefully are feeling like, no, I could never do that. Or no, maybe I want to feel that, but that wouldn't fix anything. That wouldn't um, bring me happiness or, or, or help me or guide me in any way. So with Shakespeare, I think there's an opportunity to give in a really like reverent way like do do honor to people's stories yeah um for example our our romeo and juliet is actually subtly inspired by what happened with matthew shepherd's murder um 
which was 20 years ago which this was, month. That's no coincidence, actually. Yeah. And funnily enough, um, Romeo and Juliet is actually headlining for the 50-year anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, which happened a block away from our theater space. Yes, next year, 2019, will be the 50th 50, anniversary yep. of, Stone, of the Stonewall Riots. Plus, it will mm-hmm. also be uh, World Pride here in New York City. So yes. it is about to get crazy, honey. You it's better show about up. It's real gay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's going to be so gay up in here. Uh-huh. But. Um, but no, our Romeo and Juliet, one of the first questions that we had was understanding that where does that kind of hate come from? Yeah. There's this really big fight scene in the middle of Romeo and Juliet between Tybalt Romeo and Mercutio Mm -hmm. and it could and one of the questions I had as a director looking at the script was where does that hate come from from Mm -hmm. Tybalt in Tybalt and it made a lot of sense for it to be a gay beating wow um and so then that was the springboard and so then we built this whole world based on like okay so who would Tybalt's father be like who would his like, why would he think that that's okay? And where did this this hatred between these families come from? And that was a really easy leap to be like, oh, I bet they have different religious beliefs and I bet they have different political beliefs. And I, like, when all of that, like, just becomes too much, that's when that kind of violence happens. I mean, um, look what happened this past weekend in, in Pittsburgh. Exactly. You know, it's it, these things are still happening. I mean, mm-hmm. they happen more frequently... The, the thing that I posted recently on our Instagram was that within the past 72 hours, this was uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or maybe I believe it may have been Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 72 hours in America were filled with so much hate. Like there mm-hmm. was so much violence incited by hate that it's mm-hmm. like uh, having things like theater that address mm-hmm. the, the ongoing issue, the epidemic with violence it's, specifically. It's like what happens when... When a leader, when perhaps Lord Capulet is a bully and is making bad choices, what happens is it gives permission to other people to act on on, on hateful impulses and, and bullyish tendencies. It's just like it's a it's a ripple effect. Yeah, and even Prince, like the the Prince shows up and he just banishes people. Like he doesn't actually take actions to to step up as uh, as a true leader. You know, um, Prince is very. I, I really love that branch of our story. Prince um, has. Is surrounded by media and actually she's playing it as a woman prince is a woman awesome. in our production and she's often addressing reporters in her speeches so she's she represents someone under intense media scrutiny um, and she's just a figurehead really but the true power lies elsewhere who are some of the folks that are, are that are appearing in the production um we have a woman named amani youngblood who's playing juliet um, she showed up in auditions and I just, we just knew like the second she walked on stage, we're like, there's our Juliet. Cause we had been looking for her for seven months being like, we can't do this show unless we find the perfect Juliet. Yeah. Um, and Amani is, is wonderful. Such a hard worker. So talented, just like born to do this role. Yeah. Um, all of the founding members have roles Great. in, in the show I'm directing, but I'm also playing Romeo. work right anna our founding member is um leading up the chorus and then i have um caroline mccahey is actually playing our mercutio yes Yes. best role best role (laughs) i played mercutio once many moons ago (laughs) many many moons ago when i used to be an actor joya bradley 
Her audition was actually a fascinating process. Originally, I had advertised my my casting breakdown as I was not going to consider a white woman for the role and I was not going to consider an African-American woman for the role. Mm. The reason I was not going to consider an African-American role is because I didn't want to perpetuate the trope of a black maid yeah. or um, or black nurse or, or something like that. I was like, that's not a story I'm interested in yeah. telling. Putting a person of color in a place of servitude. Yeah, which no, is... no thanks. That's exactly what we <laughs> were trying to like not stand for. Break away from. Break yeah. away from. Um, but Joya emailed me and said that she really wanted to audition for the role. And I agonized for, I think, two weeks before I responded to her because there was something about her email was just so thoughtful yeah. and, and so graceful that I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And finally, I just decided to be upfront with her. I said, look, this was my thinking. I don't want, I didn't want to cast a black woman in the role of a nurse or a servant. I don't want to perpetuate this, this stereotype. What do you think? And she basically said, um, yeah, that's great, but I need to play this role. <laughs> she was like, that's great, honey. Like, I love, she's like, I love that you're like stepping up mm-hmm. and being an ally, but at the same point in time, I'm playing that role. <laughs> <laughs> kind, of, kind of, yeah. She's like, that's um, real cute, but I'm playing that role. <laughs> I, I think, I think what it came down to was, um, at, at that point, Amani was cast, and and Amani is is a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realize Nurse is Juliet's mother figure. Yeah. And I think if Juliet had been any other race, it wouldn't have worked. But because they perhaps are of the same race, it almost made it. It didn't tell the story that the black person was the servant right and that was the story that i wanted to avoid telling right it was not a story i was interested in telling and so to have julia and nurse to be of us i i don't like i don't want to label what their race is but a similar race yeah yeah um was a story that i'd be interested in telling yeah um so that was cool that is cool and then Joya walked into the room for the audition, and she knows more about Shakespeare than I do. And I was just like, please, yeah. go. Here you go. Sorry I ever said anything. Yeah, no. <laughs> Great email exchange. Great email exchange. <laughs> Let's roll. But no, to to let her, and she has so much fun with it, too. Yeah. So it's just a blast to get her to, just, just to watch her do her thing. That's great. Mm-hmm. And the role of Paris, one of the... This is a fun conversation. I can't wait. So is Paris being played as a woman? Obviously played by, but is, right. is Paris being played as a woman as well? Get this. Paris is cut. Interesting. I have cut Paris for two reasons. Um, the first reason is I am... I try to be very understanding of all characters, like full scope of humanity you see it all in shakespeare's canon with paris i have a lot of trouble forgiving a child rapist mm. which is what he is written as he's a man in his 30s and julia is supposed to be 13 14 13, yeah 13 yeah and i just can't forgive that and right. i don't buy into the whole well it was appropriate at the time like no wrong is wrong right no matter what society the majority of society says but it's also we know better now you sure. know what i mean we can correct the mistakes that were made mm-hmm. in a previous society mm-hmm. right that's that's kind of 
what we're doing mm-hmm. now is that we're trying to undo mm-hmm. all of the mistakes, the and, mistakes and the negative uh, aspects of uh-huh. culture and society moving yeah. forward, right? That, that That's, I believe, mm-hmm. the work that we do is to yeah. try to make the world better, you know, exactly. by saying, okay, that was wrong, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, granted, the life expectancy at that point was 40 years old, right. but <laughs> doesn't mean that, like, you know, two-thirds of the way through your life, you need to be marrying a child. No, there's there's no redemption in that yeah um and i i mean i looked at the text like paris has a very interesting monologue after juliet's fake death where i we people suspect that shakespeare was trying to like gather sympathy for him because yeah. it's a very tender monologue like paris is visiting the grave of his child bride and strewing flowers everywhere and then romeo shows up and they fight and paris dies yeah um but Chefs. i was just not interested in telling that story i didn't want forgiveness for this man. Yeah. Um, and then second, my second decision to cut Paris is when you cut Paris, it amplifies the relationship between Julia and her father, her mm. father telling her to marry this man. Like all of that intensity is absorbed into their relationship and it becomes more about a father and his daughter yeah. um, and the father telling his daughter how to live her life and what decisions she has to make and her either saying yes or refusing yeah. and saying no. And so it, it serves our story in a really beautiful way. And it, it wouldn't, there is a, a moment where we'll have like an ensemble member with her back to the audience and hair really short to be Paris in the party scene, but we'll never see him again after that. Yeah. We'll just hear him referred to interesting so he's still mm-hmm. alluded to and in... he's still alluded to okay but it's more about juliet's father is telling her to do something and she doesn't want to do it gotcha that's great so there's yeah. no real face to the name it's there just a matter no of like you should just not marry this guy and and, and mm-hmm. marry someone or this lady mm-hmm. should not be marrying this woman you should be marrying somebody else and here to give us a little bit more information on <laughs> where we can follow lady shakes theater co is caroline mccaughey Take it away, Caroline. All right. Well, you can find us on Facebook under Lady Shakes Theater Company and then on Instagram, Lady Shakes Theater Co. It's all one word and all lowercase. And where can we get one of these cool hoodies that you're wearing, Caroline? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're so excited about this, actually. Uh, we have a good friend who's who's making these for us. Um, and we will be getting that information to you soon, hopefully through Instagram. Excellent. And do the purchases of a awesome Lady Shakes hoodie, do the do the profits go towards fundraising and helping with productions? Yep, they go directly towards paying for our production. Great. And Martha, I would love to play a bit of you performing a monologue for us. Do you have something in mind from Romeo and Juliet that you could share? Yeah, I could do a segment of the balcony scene. It's just after Romeo and Juliet have met for the first time at a party and have shared a beautiful moment and are well on their way towards falling in love. Um, And Romeo has snuck back to the Capulet mansion, climbed the orchard wall, and is trying to find her window in the garden right now. Yes, and this is the famous balcony. This is is the famous balcony scene. scene. All right, and here we go. Take it away, Martha. He just set scars that never felt a wound. (laughs) But soft. What light through yonder window breaks? Uh, It is the east. And Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with grief that thou, her maid, art far more fair than she. Be not her maid, 
since she is envious. Her vestal livery is but sick and green, and none but fools do wear it. Cast it off. It is my lady. Oh, it is my love. Oh, that she knew that she were. She speaks, yet she says nothing. What of that? Her eye discourses. I will answer it. No, 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 no. I am too bold. It is not to me she speaks. Two of the fairest stars in all of the heavens, having some business, do entreat her eyes to twinkle in their spheres till they return. What if her eyes were there, they in her head? The brightness of her cheek would shame those stars as daylight doth a lamp. Her eyes in heaven would through the airy region stream so bright that birds would sing and think it were not night. See how she leans her hand upon her cheek? Oh, that I were a glove upon that hand that I might touch that cheek. All I can say is that everyone should go and see Romeo and Juliet when it comes out in February 2019. That is the theater at St. John's in the West Village here in New York City. So if you are from out of town, I guess we'll be seeing you flying in. All right. (laughs) Well, Martha, thank you again. Caroline, thank you. And uh, hope to talk soon. Great. Thanks, Nick. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Typed Out Podcast. And to stay up to date on all of our newest releases, be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are listening. I am your host, Nick Polifrone, and I will see you again next week. This has been a Typed Out production.